This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and just so delighted to be here with you today, even though it is hot AF, as the kids would say outside, and even hotter in my unair conditioned closet where I record this podcast. But I am sitting here in a tank top, sweating freely for your entertainment. So thank you for joining me today. Coming up later on today's episode, I am going to be answering a reader question from reader Eileen Kaiser, who is also a supporter on Patreon. So thanks so much, Eileen, for listening to the podcast and contributing a question and for all of your support. And as always, if you have a question or a comment that you would like to hear me answer or address or just give a shout out to on a future episode of Curl Up With a Tat Curl up with a cat tail with Gwen Cooper. I'm sorry, you know, it might actually be so hot that my brain cells are are melting, uh, making it impossible for me to speak clearly and coherently. So I'm I'm hoping that you will be able to indulge me and and bear with me. If you have a question or a comment that you would like me to answer or respond to on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Head on over to my website, GwenCooper.com. There is a contact form, which I encourage you to utilize. There is also a page that is on my website that is dedicated to this podcast, and you can leave comments and questions there. And I do respond to all the comments, and it's been great to see them accumulate as the weeks of this podcast have gone by. And speaking of shout outs and, and commentary, you know, so I'm starting to get more emails from, from reader, from listeners, which is amazing. And, and I'm responding to them as quickly as I am able to do so. And, and some of you guys are writing to me with interesting topics or people you think I should speak with or, or you yourselves work with a, a rescue organization or, or a sanctuary that you think is of particular interest. And in most cases, I would have to say that the people who've written to me are right. And what they're doing is very interesting. And I look forward to sharing that with, with you guys um, in the weeks ahead. But I do want to give a special shout out today to a listener because um, it, it ties into another story that I, I've never shared. I've never shared anywhere that I've not talked about on social media. Uh, definitely have not talked about it on the podcast. It's really something only my husband and a, a couple of other trusted people in my personal life know about. It's, it's not like scandalous or or you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Spicy. It's not that kind of a secret. I I feel like I'm making it sound like it might be. It really is not. So let me just come out with it. Um, so so the listener in question is Jerry Tackett. Uh, hello. I, and if I'm mispronouncing your name, I do apologize. 
Uh, I, but I believe you're – I'm guessing it's probably Jerry Tackett. But if, I, if I'm mispronouncing your last name, please do let me know, Jerry. Uh, Jerry is a, a recent reader. She recently read Homer's Odyssey for the first time. And Jerry works – she volunteers with an organization. And again, I, I'm hoping I'm not mispronouncing this name, um, Lanai Cat Sanctuary in Hawaii. And Lanai Cat Sanctuary sounds and, and looks like a wonderful organization, and, and I'm definitely hoping to be able to connect with somebody there and maybe arrange an, an interview, and we can hear a little bit more about them from somebody who's on the ground and working with them. But it's actually a rescue organization that's been on my radar for quite some time, and I, I thought it might be interesting to share the reason why that is. So nobody knows this. And this was not something I, I was almost at the point where I was ready to make an announcement and share this with everybody. And then coronavirus, COVID-19 happened and, and locked everything down and dramatically changed everybody's plans. Um, but I had an idea for what I was imagining would start as a web series, and it was called The Catsidental Tourist. And the idea would be for me to travel with the video camera, and, and so this would not be a, a book per se or a podcast, but an actual visual moving image, me talking to a camera kind of thing, um, but to travel to all of these bucket list destinations where cats are, are front and either where cats are the main attraction or where they play an integral role in in the the cultural and and inner life of the place and and so for example you have the the six-toed cats who live at the Hemingway House in Key West which i know is on many people's bucket lists and growing up in Miami i of course have been there several times uh there are then the cats the working cats who guard the forbidden city in China uh, there are the cats who live at the Hermitage Museum in Russia. There are the cats, uh, there, there's Cat Beach in Sardinia. And this is a colony of, of cats, of feral cats, uh, but who are cared for by a local rescue organization. So they are spayed and neutered and, and ear tipped and microchipped and well fed. And they live on the beach and they will swim in the ocean with you. So you can go swimming off the coast of Sardinia with these water cats, which is is wild and interesting stuff. And there are cats in, in Turkey who live in the, the Hagia Sophia in Turkey. There, there are many cats who live in, in many religious uh, places of worship in Turkey, as there are. There are cats who live in Buddhist monasteries in Taipei and in Japan, where they are, again, they are, they are cared for by the monks who live there and, and they are part of the calls to prayer. And so the point was not to go to, you know, to, to find stray or abandoned or neglected cats in different parts of the world, although that is certainly a vital issue. The idea was rather to create sort of the, the ultimate bucket list for cat lovers. So the idea would be for well-cared-for cats, whether they are actually living in a place or they are feral colonies who are cared for, but the ultimate bucket list for cat lovers and to show how cats play a, a vital role in, in the cultural and traditional lives of, of otherwise very different people all over the world, people who would otherwise have, have literally nothing else in common. Um, and I, I had a list of, of over 200 destinations. I, I worked very hard. I created a proposal. I had an idea initially 
that I was going to look for a sponsor or or even, you know, try to find a TV network to do this. In. And I had like a, a like I said, a, a, a very dense uh, picture heavy proposal to support this. But then I decided because I didn't really know what it could be, what it was going to grow into or, or what it could be, that I would rather do it without a sponsor and maybe do it on YouTube. And, and I spoke with people actually who both who, who are who work in, in reality TV production and also people who who have their own YouTube subscription channels. And there was actually sort of a consensus feeling that that with as large a social media following as as Homer has, that it would be foolish not to initially try doing it on YouTube because then, of course, you have complete ownership rather than – so you can create it, make it what you think it should be. Maybe eventually it moves someplace else or maybe it doesn't, but you have a lot more autonomy and you can let things grow organically. And I, I've talked to you guys a bunch about Patreon and so actually I created my Patreon account well over a year ago. I created it in, in 2019 – and originally, it, what it was going to do was going to be to support my global travels, which obviously can be very expensive, but I did not want to be beholden to a corporate entity that might try to shape what I was trying to say or what I could show or what I could talk about or what I could portray on this show. And I am still hopeful, by the way, that when the world is once again in in somewhat saner condition, you know, once we have, and I know that that so much progress has been made with the vaccine and, and we've, we have come such a long way from where we were when I reluctantly had to, for the time being, put this project aside back in 2020. I think we're still not really in a place where I can start planning international travels um, and, and particularly to destinations in Asia and South America and other places that are, that are still struggling with, with vaccination rates. But I am hoping within a year or so to, to maybe be able to turn my attention back to this project. But anyway, the, the point being that Lanai Cat Sanctuary in Hawaii was very much not only on this list, but when I was putting together this proposal and out of this list of over 200 destinations, I pulled maybe 20 or 30 that I thought were among the most beautiful, the most exceptional, uh, the the most dramatic, the, the places that I personally most wanted to go and that I thought would be sort of the best television, let's say. And Lanai Cat Sanctuary was definitely one of them. It, it just looks like the ultimate Hawaiian paradise with cats. And I actually found a wedding of two people who got married in this cat sanctuary, this this oceanfront, this Hawaiian oceanfront cat sanctuary. I mean, the cats don't actually live on a beach from what I can tell. They live in what looks to be, you know, beautiful grounds and gardens. And there was a wedding that was happening in the middle of a destination wedding that was happening at this sanctuary which I, I thought was so incredible for so many reasons. And it actually made me a little angry because if I had known that such a thing existed and was possible back when I got married, I, I think it, it I definitely would have added it to to the possible wedding scenarios I was considering, although maybe my friends are, are just as happy that we did not opt for a destination wedding. But anyway, so so like I said, this uh, Lanai Cat Sanctuary has been on my radar for a long time. And in addition to being a what appears to be just a staggeringly beautiful, almost tourist destination 
for cats. It, they, it is also, again, from what I have been reading, from what I've read, and I have not been there firsthand, sadly, but it appears to be just an exceptional rescue organization. And, and so Jerry Tackett has written me this, this long, long heartfelt email extolling the virtues of this organization. And Jerry, I, I, and I apologize for having not yet written back to you, which I absolutely intend to do. And, and I, I know sometimes you guys have to wait uh, several weeks or, or even sometimes more than a month to, to get an email response from me, which I feel genuinely awful about. Um, and, and I hate to, I know it, I sound like such a jerk when I say, well, I just get, I mean, everybody gets a lot of emails. We all get a lot of emails. At least I don't have a boss, you know, pinging me with 20 annoying emails in a day. So I, I, I but I, I, I do the best I can. And, and I promise I am always thinking of you even when I'm not writing to you. And again, that just sounds so lame, but I, I do respond to emails as well and as quickly as I am able to do. And, and so Jerry, you do have a response for me coming, but I did want to let you know that I was very excited to hear from you. Is it, it was great to hear from somebody officially from this organization because yeah, I, I know who you guys are and I know all about your work and I still hope to someday be able to to go visit you and and to bring a larger audience and and shine a better spotlight on the work that you do. So dream, dream post pandemic dreams basically. I, I I guess is the theme here and. I find myself more and more turning to, you know, now, I mean, now what life is going to look like when the pandemic is over is really just top of mind for me, as I would imagine, for for most of, of you guys listening every day, what life is going to look like and and what I am going to look like. So, uh, you know, like a lot of people, I I put on some weight during quarantine and I am now in the process of trying to take that weight off. And and I, by the way, I, I really do want to issue a very strong disclaimer here and say that I am not a body upset, you know, image obsessed person, and I do not encourage body image obsession in anybody else. I am a staunch believer in in health and attractiveness at any weight. I do not think there's any one weight or one way to look to be healthy and beautiful. I I really do mean that. Uh, it is an important issue to me. People very close to me have had eating disorders. People very close to me who I care a great deal about have suffered from eating disorders. And so I do always want to emphasize that. And I, I look, I'm, I'm going to be 50 this year. I do not expect to look the way that I looked at 25. I mean, it'd be awesome if I could, but I, I don't expect to do so. Having said that, the the rather noticeable amount of weight that I gained during quarantine, you know, it's not like you you've been eating healthy and exercising a reasonable amount, and yet you find that you weigh ten pounds more at fifty than you did at forty, because that is probably inevitable and something I could accept. This is more like I was completely sedentary for about a year, and when I say completely sedentary, I mean. Not even the, you know, two or three times a week walks to the grocery store at the at the end of my block to stock up on groceries. We, like a lot of people who have other health issues that might complicate COVID, for example, I am asthmatic, um, you know, we elected to have groceries delivered by Instacart and, and so on and so forth. But so I, I did a lot. I mean, even by the standards of a work from home writer, I was really freaking sedentary. 
And I watched a lot of movies. I ate a lot of chips and raisinets while watching those movies. And and the whole, you know, the whole kind of just gloriously letting myself go complete. I mean, I obviously I wasn't seeing people. When you zoom, you you can it, it's easy enough to just like kind of be tight on your face so that no one can see what what is happening below your chin. Uh, which if if there if there had been time lapse footage, I I think it might genuinely be horrifying. And of course, none of this was assisted by the fact that that my husband, God love him. But but his aesthetic ideal when it comes to to the female form is basically something along the lines of, um, do you think maybe you could gain 10 pounds and let all the hair on your legs grow out? Because that would really work for me. And I, of course, met this challenge with an enthusiastic, could I? Mister, if if what you're looking for is a woman who can gain weight just by looking at food and grow a thick, lustrous pelt of hair on just about every square inch of her body, then you, my friend, have come to the right place. And so it was just kind of the perfect storm for for letting myself go. And and so I'm gradually pulling myself back together. I I got a haircut, which I'm looking forward to unveiling to to the people who participate in my Patreon video chats and and they will be seeing my the the new haircut this week. And I resumed, you know, shaving my legs and 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 generally trying to look like a person and I I'm not on a diet. I I'm never going on a diet. Ever again, I, I like all, you know, like so many women, I have certainly dieted in the past. I am never going to diet again. But having said that, I have cut out all the junk, uh, which I think is fair. I am not so much counting calories or, or doing, okay, I'm not going to eat carbs at all for two weeks. And then I'll eat some carbs, but only this kind of carb and only in this quantity. And I'm not doing any of that. I'm, I'm eating fruits, vegetables, some fish. Um, legumes and and whole grains and in reasonable quantities. That's what I'm doing. I'm basically eating a healthy diet. And it may not sound dramatic, but again, it was a year of, of chips and pizza and candy and what the heck. We have literally nothing else to do to entertain ourselves. Let's eat a whole pizza in one sitting and and watch The Wire, you know. So uh, it's it's an end to that. And I am so you know, an end to to eating junk food for the most part. I mean, look, when Lawrence and I went to the shore last week, and it, you know, for a couple of days, and it was our, our first time really going anywhere since before quarantine had started. And yeah, I had some fudge and some saltwater taffy and this really amazing kind of cheesy um, crab and spinach and artichoke dip uh, on on the shore. And it was lovely. But, um, you know, if I'm just sitting here working and it's time for lunch, I'm having a salad instead of a, a big bowl of cheesy pasta or something along those lines. And so in addition to that, I am I've started working out again and I work out at home and I always did even before quarantine. And that is mostly because so I'm a writer. I am a, a full time writer and I am a master procrastinator. Nobody is a better procrastinator than I am. And I get up at five in the morning and what I have found being very, after a lifetime of, of kidding myself, I've learned to be very honest with myself. And basically I'm up at five and if I do not work out, if I do not start exercising at 530, 
Every hour that I am awake and which I've not yet worked out is an hour in which I will come up with a million reasons why it makes sense to wait another hour before I start and then another hour. And then, well, I mean, now it's you know lunchtime and, and I need to eat lunch and I, I can't work out immediately after lunch because I have to digest. And now it's that time of the day when my energy level is dipping and that's when you can injure yourself. And so really it just makes sense to take a nap right now. And then all of a sudden, you know, they say you shouldn't work out too late in the day because then it can, it can interfere with how well you sleep. And before you know, a day has gone by and no exercise has taken place. So I work out, I get up at five, I work out from 5.30 to 6.30, not because I'm so motivated, but because I'm thoroughly unmotivated. And I, so I just have to do it before I can think about it, basically, or else I'm not going to do it at all. And of course, gyms tend not to be open as early as 5.30 a.m. because, you know, most people are are not insane like I am. And so, you know, like I said, I, I just like, again, the, the fewer barriers, the less time I have to think and the easier it is to just roll into the workout, the more likely I am to do it. So I started working out at home again. And, you know, I don't know how long my cat's memories are. I think maybe they they just don't remember me previously working out, but it it, it has kind of rocked their little worlds a little bit. <laughs> or maybe, you know, they just got used to me basically being like a third cat in the house. You know, all they did all day was lie around. And that was kind of all I did all day for a good year or so during quarantine. I just kind of laid around the house and, and ate and groomed and minimally. And it was a very cat-like existence and not a terrible one, by the way. Uh, But Fanny emphatically does not approve. She does not like it. Fanny is is, is such a sweet girl. She, She loves crawling into my lap. She can be such a little cuddler. But Fanny, and I think partly because she's skittish and partly because she's spoiled, Fanny likes things to be very still and very quiet. Fanny is is very Fanny doesn't like it if I'm talking on the phone near her because it it's, you know, even me moving my arms is too much movement and it disturbs her sleep and and disrupts her. She definitely does not like when I am jumping around, working out. You know, I get up and I go into our guest bedroom slash Lawrence's office, and that's where I work out in the mornings, obviously, so as not to disturb Lawrence, who, like any sane person, is sleeping still at 530 in the morning. And Fanny and Clayton follow me very happily. They're very excited to to be hanging out with me after so many hours of, of sleeping and, and not seeing each other. And and Fanny lasts for all of that five minutes. And it's not just that she leaves. She leaves very disapproving. She actually usually comes over if I'm on the rowing machine and she'll wait for me to to pause for a second between sets and and kind of slap at me angrily and then walk out. Like she's letting me know it's it's not enough even for her just to leave. She has to leave disapprovingly. And I have to stop, you know, because I work out with the TV or, or radio or something going on. I mean, I guess I could do headphones. But, you know, again, I'm at an age where I don't like to to mess with my hearing things that could damage my my eardrums any more than is strictly necessary. And so I close the door. So the cats kind of either have to be in or out. And so they always insist on being in at first. It's like every day it's it's a new experience for them and they don't remember how unhappy they were the day before. At least Fanny doesn't. And so I always have to pause after the first or second set to let Fanny, who is by then clawing frantically at the door. There are actually like little claw marks in the paint now because Fanny just she needs to be out of there. And with Clayton, I have the opposite problem. Clayton just wants to be a part of whatever I am doing. 
And the problem is that the Clayton tends to interfere with the workout. And and I did try close it because Fanny's never isn't happy in there. And Clayton is potentially disruptive. And, and sometimes I worry that he's going to either, you know, he's going to get hurt or he's going to inadvertently cause me to hurt myself. But, I, I, you know, I think I've written the Clayton's meow has no owl at the end. And then he's always like, me, me. Um, I, I do very bad cat impressions. But I write well. I write well about cats, but I, I bad at sounding like a cat. But, you know, so that that's sort of what Clayton's. It's very high pitched. And it tends just to be a me. But when Clayton is upset, then he is all ow. Uh, there is no me. It's it's just the ow. And so Clayton, Clayton locked out of a room that I am in that he wants to be in. And again, I apologize for the bad impression, but it's very ow, 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 ow. And and it's super loud. He sounds like a puppy being tortured it is really the the only way that I can describe it. It's it's almost disturbing and, and it's really loud. And if left unchecked, would certainly wake up Lawrence and possibly even people who don't actually live in this house. And so I, I of course, have to let him in with me. But then, you know, he he he's, he's like running alongside me as I'm on the, the rowing machine going back and forth. Or if I'm doing push up, you know, if I'm trying to do sit ups, he is on my stomach if I'm trying to do push-ups, he's on my back or he kind of wedges himself like when I'm in the, you know, in the plank position at the top of the push-up, he kind of wedges himself uh, between my body and the floor so that I don't have a lot of great options. You know, I'm I'm struggling to stay up and, and it's difficult because uh, my arms are tired, but I cannot, you, you know, I have to be very careful of how I drop, which you are supposed to do anyway to do the movement correctly. But Clayton really does not budge until the last possible second. And if I'm trying to do anything in in the yoga or or Pilates family, but if I'm doing anything where I'm standing on my feet, if I'm doing, you know, I like to do like, you know, tranquil yoga for for people who I, I there's actually a program that I have on Prime. It's called Yoga for the Inflexible, which I just love. That that's a wonderful title, and and so I practice. I I, I do that sometimes as I try to 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 regain. My pre-pandemic flexibility, such as it was, I I was nobody, nobody's contortionist. The Cirque du Soleil people didn't exactly have me on speed dial or anything, and and Clayton is just kind of winding around my feet and my ankles and and crying desperately for attention. You know, he's in the room now and he's in there with me and the door's closed, but of course I'm not petting him and I'm not cuddling him. And I think after a year of quarantine, it is legitimately news to Clayton that I have any function or purpose in life other than to serve as a lap for him to sleep on and a hand to stroke his back while he is sleeping in that lap. He is very upset if I am standing, trying to hold a pose in his mind, literally standing there and doing nothing and not petting him or paying attention to him or telling him what a good boy he is. Clayton, of course, thrives on attention and and is very put out when he's not getting it. And it kind of it's like almost one additional reason for me to feel guilty for really having let myself go the way that I did during quarantine, because I think in addition to, to being a shock in so many ways to all of us who are venturing back outside, 
trying to get into clothes that fit one way before the pandemic and, and fit a different way now or maybe cannot be put back on at all, as is certainly the case with me. I'm, I'm down to about uh, three shirts that, that I can still work with. I, I, I think there's a real toll that has been exacted on on the cats and not just because suddenly we're going out more, which in and of itself is is kind of stressful for Clayton. We went out last night just to pick up some food. We We ordered food for dinner. We we drove to pick it up. We were back in less than half an hour, and Clayton was waiting for me at the door and and yelling at me the the way that he frequently <laughs> yells at me. Uh, basically, they were like, "Where were you? What took you so long? Where'd you go? Why didn't you tell me you were leaving?" And and he was very upset. So so this is the general state of affairs in our house, I, I guess. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I have put on an extraordinary amount of weight and. I have managed to emotionally warp my cats. So it was the year that I spent not doing this this web series idea that that I had was at least spent in the very productive task of ruining my my own physical health and the emotional health of my cats. So so that's a good thing. Um it's always good to look back on a year of your life and and feel that you did not waste your time completely. And so now that we have established that I am potentially the literal worst cat mom in the entire world, I think this is an excellent time for us to take a brief break during which I'm going to regroup. I'll be back in about 30 seconds or so. So sit tight, get comfortable and stick around for more Curl Up with a Cat Tail. so much for sticking around. I I appreciate you hanging out and waiting for me to come back. And I should also add, by the way, uh, just circling back to to Catsidental Tourist for a moment, that this is still, you you know, this is something that got postponed, obviously, because of all the shutdowns and and restrictions on travel due to COVID-19. But I, I still consider it very much an active idea. I, I trademarked the name. I registered my filed copies of, of the treatment that I wrote up for it with both the U.S. Copyright Office and the Writers Guild of America. And so please, please don't try to steal it. Uh, it, it again is, is not only legally protected, but is very much an active idea that I do plan on returning to in some form once it is safe again to do so. And of course, as I said before, I originally launched my Patreon page with an idea that that I would use it to help me raise the funds necessary to undertake Catsidental Tourist as an independent project. Uh, I ended up not really, you know, promoting the Patreon page, so I didn't have any patrons until a few months ago when I had a new project and am working now more aggressively on self-published books and also on advertising and marketing and courses to support my ability to undertake advertising and marketing for those books effectively. And I just want to give a a shout out to, to the last group of my 
Patreon supporters, and these are supporters at the $5 level or higher, and this is their monthly shout-out, the, the last group. I've, I've broken it into a few groups. And again, for those of you who don't know exactly what Patreon is, it basically allows you for a relatively small amount of money to be a patron of a creator or artist whose work you admire and want to contribute to. And I do a lot of fun things. I think with uh, with my Patreon community, there are a lot of things that I write and record and share and post specifically for people on Patreon that does not get shared with anybody else outside of that community. Also fun sneak peeks and fun discounts on, on new Homer merchandise, uh, 20, 30% off, things like that. And and it's a lot of fun. And it's can, you can start being a patron for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee a month. And uh, my Patreon page is, is super easy to find. Just go to Patreon, P is in Peter, A, T is in Thomas, R is in Robert, E, O, N is in Nancy, dot com slash Gwen Cooper, all one word. So patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper. And just a shout out again to the last group of my my patrons for this month. Uh, first, a welcome to Nita Mercer. And I hope I am pronouncing your name correctly and that it is Nita and not Netta. But if I am mispronouncing it, please do let me know. Uh, Nita Mercer is a new patron who just came on board a couple of days ago. So thanks so much for joining us, Nita. Also, Steph Suglian, Joanna Litko, I'm sorry, Latko, Diana Damasio, Sandy Butzelli, Angie Mason, Catherine Rigsby, Rosie Ray, Rachel, last name withheld, TJ Murphy, Julie Brandt, Kristen Taggart, Gypsy Ray, Melanie Paradise, Deborah Forsman, Lene Waite, Breeze Ellis, Meg Hines, Christine Graham, Irma Hinkle, and my first two original OG patrons, Sandra Lerman, my mother-in-law, and Lawrence Lerman, my husband. Thank you, everybody, of course, for your incredible support. And I'd like to give a special shout out, by the way, to TJ Murphy, who is just a longtime reader and correspondent and somebody who has been with me and and a part of, of my journey as a writer for a long time. So, hey, TJ, thanks for your support and for listening and for everything you do for me and for others. You you deserve the acknowledgement, and I certainly hope that I am not the only one who gives it to you. And speaking of patrons and supporters and so on and so forth, Eileen Kaiser, who is also a tremendous supporter on Patreon, one of my favorites, and who contributed the question that I'm going to answer this week. And it's not a very complex question. As you can see, a, a wide swath of our show has already gone by before I've even brought it up. But Eileen wants to know, and I think this is based on on the email that I sent out last week with the video about how to give your cat a name that he or she will respond to. And this was a video that was put together by a vet who ha- a veterinarian who has a program on YouTube and just a great guy who based in Canada whose videos I really enjoy. And so Eileen wants to know if I have ever had any cats who know and respond to their names. So let me first say that that my hypothesis is that all cats know their names. They may not respond to their names because they choose not to, but I I firmly believe that all cats recognize their names. They are certainly 
more than smart enough to do so. I think if you have a cat who is really just never responding to their name, I honestly think it's a matter of choice. And in my own experience, what I have found is that the extent to which a cat tends to recognize and respond to their own name sort of directly correlates with how social that cat is. So Scarlet, for example, I don't think in the entire course of her life she ever once turned her head toward me at the sound of her name. Uh, there were little, there were sounds that I would make like a pss, pss, pss noise with that, that meant, hey, I have some food for you or, or you should pay attention to me right now. It's important. But if I just said, Scarlet, Scarlet, she, she never responded. She did. She just did not acknowledge me. And again, I am firmly of the belief that this was because she chose not to and not because she was just unaware that the word Scarlet had any relevance to her. You know, over the course of a 17-year life, I, I I have to believe that she put two and two together and point like, oh, I'm Scarlet. Uh, I, I will say, having said that, the my other four cats that I've lived with over the years have had, I mean, to some degree or other, definitely, they know their names, you know, Vashti and Fanny uh, Vashti was a cat who would sometimes respond to her name and sometimes not. And again, I think that had to do with the mood that Vashti was in. And the same thing with Fanny. If Fanny doesn't feel like listening or she doesn't feel like not doing whatever you're telling her to do, then you can yell Fanny, Fanny, Fanny at her. And and she's just, you know, oh, were you talking to me? I had no idea. Why didn't you say something? Why are you just standing there shouting like an idiot? But if she, especially if she's asleep and she's on the foot of the bed and I say, Fanny, um, she, she half, you know, she does a little kind of thing and, and she knows. I mean, she knows her name. She turns her head if I say Fanny, but if I say Clayton in the same voice, she does not turn her head to acknowledge it. So she knows that she is Fanny and that Clayton is Clayton. And having said that, I would say that Clayton and Homer, who are for sure my two, the, the two most social cats that I have lived with and also the most attached to me and, and just the most apt to to have a, a need or desire to constantly be in my physical presence. Um, and, and Clayton and Homer definitely, Homer for sure knew his name. Clayton definitely knows his name. They both responded to it no matter what tone of voice I said it in. Uh, they, they know their names and would respond also when other people said their names in different tones of voice. And Clayton in particular, and actually this is a true story and, and kind of really an adorable one. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the movie Back to the Future 3, and Mary Steenburgen plays a character, you know, the love interest for, for Doc Brown, and her name is Clara Clayton. That's the character's name. So Clayton is her last name. And when we are first introduced to her, Doc Brown says to her, Miss, you know, oh, I'm so ha whatever, you know, whatever. I, I forget exactly what the lead up to it is, but I'm so happy we were here to help you out, Miss. And she says, Clayton, Clara Clayton. And I was watching that movie one day and Clayton was in my lap and he was completely sound asleep, you know, eyes closed, deep breathing. I was petting his back. He was he was snoozing on on the pillow that he likes to lie on in my lap. And when Mary Steenburgen said, Clayton, Clara Clayton, Clayton went, you know, and, and just kind of half opened his eyes. And and so he knows when when he knows that Clayton is his name and. I, I I give Clayton a lot of of guff and and I do still kind of believe as sweet as he is that he's not in the same category of brightness as as maybe Homer or Vashti who was incredibly intelligent were. But in fairness, Clayton absolutely knows his own name. He knows when somebody's talking to him. The other word, and this is interesting, because my I will say that my first three cats there were really no other words that they knew besides their names. 
Um, they, again, if I went, they knew that I wanted their attention. And usually it was because I was putting down food or distributing treats or something of that nature. Homer, I think understood the word no, but I also think it was more my, that I think was definitely my tone of voice as much as anything else. But Clayton and Fanny know the word lunch and you can say the word lunch to them and whatever they are doing no matter how deeply asleep they are or whatever they may be playing with or 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 clawing up or if you're petting them, any anything that they might be doing, any person who says it, any tone of voice you say it in, if you say the word lunch to my cats, you instantly have their attention and their little ears perk up. And, and if you say the word lunch a second time, they will start heading down to their bowls. And, you know, Lawrence used to laugh at me because I, I give the cats three meals a day. And so I feed them lunch in the middle of the day, of course. And Fanny, more often than not, you know, Clayton is always with me, but Fanny is usually sleeping someplace upstairs. And so I'll yell, Fanny, come and get lunch. It's time for lunch. And Lawrence always used to mock me for doing this. Like She doesn't know what you're saying to her. She doesn't know why you're calling her. But within seconds, you know, you hear the little down the stairs and and that actually probably sounds given the microphone a lot more uh, like like Fanny is a much larger. She's actually a very dainty and and slender little cat with a very light step. But you hear the inevitable sound of her jumping off the bed and, and heading down the stairs. And she knows the word lunch for sure. And like I said, any context in which you say that word. So they know their names and they know the word lunch. Um, the only cat who I cannot independently verify her knowledge of her name is Scarlett. Scarlett never once responded to her name. But again, I believe that she knew it and just was like, Ugh, get bent whenever I was trying to get her attention. That being the uh, the vicissitudes of Scarlett, the surly girl. And But I would be curious to know if, if you guys think that, that you're, if those of you listening feel that your cats know their names or tend to respond to their names and or whether they don't. It is certainly an interesting question, and there's probably some study or science or something out there that has a, a more scientific opinion on the question than mine. But I, as a matter of anecdotal evidence or, or data, I can say for sure without question that, that Clayton and Fanny and Homer and even Vashti, Homer and Vashti knew their names. Clayton and Fanny definitely know their names. And I would love to hear from you and hear if your cats know their names. And I'm about to head out right now and call my cats names and and say the word lunch, which is their favorite word, and then actually give them their lunch because we have reached the end of today's episode of Curl Up With a Cat Tail. Thank you so much to all of you who have listened, and I look forward to joining you again next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up With a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.